the Child Life Cooperative Podcast, a place where child life professionals share their real and honest stories with host and certified child life specialist, Allie Jones. A call came in and a child life specialist grabs her prep book for an anxious four-year-old boy who's awaiting surgery. The parents seem desperate for child life services, so the specialist rushes to the need and rings the doorbell of the patient's house. She sits with the four-year-old at his own kitchen table to do medical play. Child life is increasingly present in the minds of parents and alternative settings for child life are quickly growing. This week, CCLS Randy Jaffe shares her own unique experience pioneering a private practice. Now, here's this week's Honest Story. Hello, Child Life Cooperative community. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the Child Life Podcast. I'm so excited to introduce our new guest today, Miss Randy Jaffe. Hello, Randy. Hi, Allie. How are you doing? I'm so good. I'm really excited to talk to you today. We were, we were kind of debriefing, or I guess briefing, before we started hitting record, and I'm just really looking forward to hearing your story um, would you like to kind of start off by sharing how a lot of people may recognize your name and how you're known in the child life field currently? Oh, well, that is very kind of you to say. I certainly don't feel recognizable, but that's very sweet of you. Um, yeah, so I um, currently have a private practice uh, in the field of child life. It's called Kid Coke Specialist, and I'm actually just today celebrating my one-year anniversary um, of my, <laughs> thank you, of my private practice. Um, and before that, I was a child life specialist at NYU Hospital for Joint Diseases, which was a rehab facility. Um, so yeah, so I decided to have a private, to begin my private practice after my daughter was born. And I was taking her to her four-month well visit, and the nurse there said to me, okay, well, uh, just lie her down and hold down her arms and her legs, and we'll give her her shot. And I kind of giggled and said, oh, no, I'm actually going to hold her in a comforting position, and I'm going to feed her immediately afterwards, and there's no need to hold her down. And she gave me a look like, are you kidding me? Oh, and my, uh, my husband was in the room and kind of gave, shot me a look like, come on, don't give her a hard time. And, you know, as I'm sure every child life specialist slash parent knows, you walk into any medical appointment with your child as 50% parent, 50% child life specialist, and there's mm-hmm. just no way that you're going to let your child be treated in a way that isn't sufficient for you. Um, so I, I said to the nurse, you know, I understand that this is, you know, this might be what you're comfortable with, but I'm not comfortable with that. You know, as my four month old, I know she's not a fidgety baby. There's no reason to hold her down. She's not in a developmentally, you know, she's not in a developmental place where she needs to be held down. And she said, well, I'm not willing to risk my medical license if she flinches and if the needle you know, goes rogue and hits me or hits her. And I said, okay, well, can you find me another nurse who's willing to, you know, work with, work with us? And she did. And it went swimmingly. She was held in a comforting position and she didn't, you know, she, of course she cried and then I comforted her with, with a bottle. Um, and it went fine. And I, you know, of course, I had, I had advocated for her and I was proud of myself. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I was walking um, to an actually to a um, 
a new mom support group in my town with a couple of other moms who had babies around the same age, four months old. And these are, you know, competent moms who were actually just about to go back to work. And I explained to them what had happened. They're friends of mine. And expecting their reactions to be, oh, Renny, I'm so sorry that happens. That really sucks that that happened. And their reactions were, I can't believe you can ask to hold your baby during a oh, shot. Wow. And my eyes nearly like fell out of my head. I could not believe it. And it dawns on me that their like white coat syndrome was as bad as the kids that I had worked with in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And immediately I had this like aha moment of I need to get this information out there that you need to advocate for your children. These are these are your babies. And just because someone is wearing a white coat, just because someone is a medical professional does not mean that they um you know, that they are the end-all be-all in health, in the healthcare situation. You need, you use that mom gut, you know, you use that dad gut, you do what's right for your child and what's right for your family. Um, so that's kind of how I had this moment of this private practice of child life could work here. I could educate parents. I could educate families. I could work with children and help them be more aware in healthcare settings and also in other settings like school, um, and help them to feel, more confident and aware emotionally and socially, um, help them with feelings and emotions. Um, and that's what I've done with my practice. Um, I haven't just focused on, it started with some medical stuff and also dentist stuff. Um, but I've also expanded and work with lots of kids that have some social anxieties, separation anxieties. I do lots of work with kids that struggle with drop off, um, Mm -hmm. at school or at different activities. Um, and I work with a lot of kids with just learning about emotions, um, emotional identity and self-regulating, you know, teaching them the best techniques that will work for them in terms of deep breathing, pushing against a wall, making stress balls, all different types of techniques that will work best for them in a moment that is overwhelming for them because of sadness or anger, frustration, you name it. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely not like a typical black and white child life work. And sometimes it certainly gets gray. And that's when I lean on my child life colleagues to say like, Hey, am I doing the right thing? Do I need to reach out to a a behaviorist or a child psychologist and pass this on, which I often do. Um, but it's been a really interesting ride and a really exciting year. Um, and I'm really, you know, I'm really happy to talk about it. That is amazing. It's the word that keeps coming to my mind hearing you talk is advocacy that you've really stepped into this role of being an advocate for your child, how it's one thing to be an advocate in the child life setting for these patients. But then once it's your own baby, you're like, okay, no, like this is what's right. And I I stand firm on that conviction and I'm going to advocate for that. And now advocating for parents to have that same boldness and advocating for kids to, to be mindful of their emotions. I mean, it's amazing that the well-roundedness of this kid cope specialists that you've created. I mean, that is, that is really, really neat. Um, Thank you so much. I'm kind of curious, I think starting off, so you decided you wanted to um, create your own private practice. Can you kind of walk us through how you went about doing that, especially for someone that might be interested in doing that themselves? Absolutely. So it was, it was a really foreign concept to me. I actually had attended um, the Child Life of Greater New York um, conference back in, it must have been fall of 2000 and 
16, and there was a breakout group that was run by Shani Thornton, who is known to most of you as Child Life Mommy, um, and she was running a group with another woman that was about um, child life in, like, outside of the hospital, child life in community setting, child life private practice, and one of my colleagues at the time said to me, Zandy, I could totally see you doing that, and I said, oh, absolutely not, no way, I am not a business savvy person, that is just not not in my wheelhouse, and I had no, I knew Shani a little bit, and I knew she had, she had formerly worked at NYU Hospital for Drug Diseases, but not at the same time as I did, but we just had a few mutual friends, um, and the more, when I first thought about this, the first thing I did was after I had talked to those moms and had that conversation and had that aha moment, I got in touch with a uh, a, a family blog in my town. I live in a town right across from New York City uh, called Hoboken, New Jersey, and we are a one-square-mile town that is a very small, adorable town, but it has 4,000 families, so mm-hmm. I have a lot of kids to work with. I reached out to the, the person who runs a family blog in my town, and I had explained to her the experience that I had at the doctor's office, and I said, I want other moms to know. I want them to know about the importance of advocating for your child in a medical setting. Um, and she said, why don't you kind of tweak it, and why don't you do a top 10 list, top 10 ways to make your next visit to the doctor a little easier for you and your little one? And I really liked that. So I did this article and it was the first time of really working after since my daughter had been born and writing about child life. And it kind of, if you know anyone out there is listening who has a, a little one at home or is pregnant and you know you're thinking about how your life is going to change after you have a baby, it really is kind of a, a, a strange challenge. And mm. I think most people who are child life specialists are really passionate about our work, and that's why we do what we do. It's certainly not for the money that we're taking home. It's because of these kids that we work with and these families that we are so lucky, lucky to be a part of their lives. And once I started writing this article, I was like, Oh my God, how do I, how I miss this. And once I started writing, I kind of couldn't stop writing and I was writing and writing and just writing all these different ideas that I had. And the more I wrote, the more I realized there's something here. I could do something with this. And I started researching the amount of practice, private practices in child life there are in the country. Right now, I think it's about around 60, somewhere like that. So it's still really low. I know there are a lo- there's a lot of work that the, the um, ACLP is doing um, to further legitimize the private practice um, and private practice work and also the community-based child life and figuring out a way for us to be reimbursable through insurances. So there's a lot of good work that's coming around the pike, which is fantastic. But the way I really got started was just researching and seeing how could I do this? What would my overhead be like financially? How could I make this work? And who would be my my go-to person? So I reached out to Shani and I said, hey, would you have like a little bit of time to give me and could we set up a time to talk so I can pitch this idea to you and you can tell me if it worked. And she said, yeah, I think this could really work. And I got to ask her a bunch of questions and she was so generous Mm -hmm. and really told me like, these are the things you have to set up. Here are the things that are going to work. Here are the things that won't work. Was really honest with me. And I really just took that and I just started 
writing and doing things that, you know, I thought would work in my town um, and in my community. And with that, I really just made the practice my own. You know, there's no rule. There's no really guidelines in our field because it's so new with the private practice. So there are no really, there's no structural like setup, which is kind of a blessing and a curse, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because it can, it can be really individual. It can be your own. I touched on this a little bit before, but how do you know when a child or a family is appropriate for a child life specialist and how do you know when it's not? Right. So when I talk to a parent for the first time, the very first thing I do, because let's face it, a lot of people don't know what child life specialists are. I explain what we do and how we do it, and I outline how I might be able to help their child. I then describe what will happen during the first session, which of course will be rapport building and different types of play, and I also highlight the fact that there is a possibility that, of course, I might not be the right fit for their child. Perhaps this will be someone that could be better suited for a behaviorist or a child psychologist or a therapist. And I'm very open about that. And the very first thing that I say to parents is I do not want to waste your time or your money. Um, I, if this is not going to be a good fit, I will be the first person to let you know. Um, and a lot of times, you know, it's happened a couple of times and I am the first person to tell the parent and I'm the first person to help them find a resource. I have a lot of, in the last year, I've met a lot of different professionals in Hoboken and the surrounding areas that have become colleagues of mine that I refer to all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and that has been a really nice, um, that's been really nice for me also to be able to talk to these other professionals and say, Hey, I think I have a patient or a family for you that I think would work better for you. And it's just not in my scope of practice. That's kind of the way I, um, the way I handle it with families. Mm -hmm. And that, that is my own internal, my, my morals and my ethics as a child life specialist. And then also I have peer mentorship. I speak with other child life specialists constantly, and I'm always doing my own checks and balances, of mm-hmm. course, which all of us as child life specialists always do, whether we work in the hospital or outside. Mm-hmm. The difference is when you work outside the hospital, it's your own responsibility to keep up with that. Mm-hmm. What about a success story? Can you tell me of, of any of your, like, does one story come to mind of something that you've really... Um, look back on I've been so thankful for for Kid Cope Specialist sure I mean I've I feel so grateful that I have a bunch that have come to mind mm-hmm. um, and I do I am so lucky that I because it's a small town I see these kids around town and they're doing really well um, I the one that I think about was actually the very first family that I worked with that I can tell you about and that was a year ago almost a year ago and she was a, a little girl she, she was three and a half at the time and she had never been to, so my very first case was not medical at all which was scary for me because I've only of course worked with sick kids right in hospitals or injured kids um and she had never been to any sort of daycare preschool never separated from mom ever in her whole life and uh, she had a little brother who was about one at the time and there was zero preparation and one day she just went to full-time preschool she went from never doing anything without her mom to going five days a week 
full-day daycare. So, of course, yeah, like, no preparation, nothing. So, obviously, it was, like, meltdown city. It was just terrible for everyone. It was terrible for mom, for her, for the teachers. Like, it was very bad. Um, And she, mom had found my information and reached out to me. And we just started with very basic learning about emotions, learning about feelings. And I taught her basically how to share her feelings in a safe and healthy way and how to, um, how to self-regulate and how to express her feelings. And in addition to helping her to regulate her emotions, a huge thing was that she was not prepared for this change. And, So that was obviously extremely upsetting to her. And also, she didn't understand why her little brother got to go home with mommy. Mm -hmm. And she was, like, being punished in her mind in having to go to this place with strangers, Mm -hmm. with all these strangers, Mm -hmm. and being left by mommy and her brother. So we talk so often in child life about misconceptions. This was a huge misconception. She was going to a totally foreign place with people she didn't know, being dropped off for a way too long period of time, um, in my opinion, and having to eat food that she never ate before because the school provided lunch. So all these foreign strange things were happening at the same time to a three and a half year old. And she had, uh, I'm sorry, she was three. She turned three right before school school started. And there were some kids turning four, like in a couple months. So she was way early developmentally and in, in the, in the class. So a lot of what I did was also, um, like reverse preparation, you know, in child life when they say like, even if you miss the procedure and you didn't get there in time to like prep them for an IV, it's still better to go in after and help with like the like the reconciliation and help help the child to cope afterwards and talk to them about what happened. Mm-hmm. It's like re- re- reverse prep almost. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I did. Like I helped her to understand and reverse prep her to kind of help her to see what was what was happening and why she was going to school and why her little brother wasn't going also and why mommy was going home with her brother. Mm. And, um, I made a social story with her. So I'm sometimes what I do also is like take things from other, um, interventions. Like I'll take something from like a behaviorist, like I know it's a, or, or speech, right? Like a, like a speech pathologist will do like a social story. I love social stories. I do them all the time with kids. So I wrote, I, we made a whole story about how this little girl went to school for the first time. And I drew her in the story and like, and what she did every single morning. I also had mom, we made a calendar, a schedule of what she does Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. And so she knew she was more prepared for what was going to happen each day that, Oh, today is a school day today. I go see Miss Mary or whatever. Um, so we, I really introduced mom to preparation and, um, expectation setting. So she became more, um, she became more scheduled and she kind of craved that schedule a little bit more. Um, so it, it turned out to be so, so much better. And I still get, um, messages and emails, pictures, um, from the family saying how well she's doing. The mom actually just messaged me last week saying 
first week of the second year of preschool and she was a little bit nervous, but she was able to say, mommy, I feel a little scared, which is huge for a four year old. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and she, yeah. So, so she's come such a long way and that's kind of the law. It's the longest uh, kind of case that I've had so far, which is, you know, really great. That so, is so sweet. Thanks. And then I also have other cases that, like, I see kids once, and that, that's it. Like, I saw a kid two weeks ago who was a four-and-a-half-year-old. She was having a blood drop for the first time. I did one session with her to prepare her, and she was awesome. She was a rock star. She did phenomenal. And that's it. I hopefully won't ever see her again unless she has something else medical but like that was it so I'm also really enjoying doing things like that where it's like a one and done um so that's that's also really successful but in a very different way obviously Mm -hmm. that is really so neat to hear kind of the the diversity of experiences that some can be year-long interactions of you hearing these success stories that continue because you've taught them how to cope which is amazing and and even then, if it's one session or seven or however many, that it sounds like you're really working hard to empower these kids and these parents to really practice and apply what you're teaching, which is so neat. Yeah, thank you. And nannies, too. Don't forget that. Oh, yes. <laughs> so I, I really do a lot of work with nannies because there are so many families who, you know, the parents work during the day and the nannies take care of them either all day or from when the child gets home from school till dinner time. Um, so I work with a lot of nannies, too, who, you know, it, it works really well because they're learning really great skills. And if, even if they go to work for another family, that's a skill that they can bring to the next family. Wow, that is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is really cool. I didn't realize that you also would work with them too. That's that's mm-hmm. very very helpful. Randy, we are quickly running out of time. It's crazy, but I'm I would sorry, love... I'm very chatty. No, I love <laughs> it. It's so awesome. And I, I feel like I still have so many other questions, but I would love to transition to our what would you do segment. So you have so much knowledge about working with kids, helping them sort through their emotions. I'd love to ask you a little scenario and see what would you do. This one is going to be kind of taking it back to the hospital setting. So a four-year-old has leukemia and needs to come to the doctor for frequent blood draws and doctor exams. When he arrives, he can be heard screaming and yelling and wailing in the waiting room for every single visit. He knocks chairs over, he pushes books off the shelves, and swears loudly for all to hear. Meanwhile, his dad sits quietly by and shares that he feels helpless and that nothing can be done to alter the child's behavior. What would you do, Randy? So if it's possible in this scenario, I would try to, if like if it was possible to have somebody be with the child for a couple of minutes, maybe a nurse or maybe if they're, they could be with another child life specialist or someone that they're comfortable with, I would try to pull dad aside and see if I could talk to dad for a couple minutes and just educate him in mm-hmm. a totally um, non-judgmental way. I'm sure he's going through so much stress and so much anxiety, um, but just try to kind of educate him to what his child is going through and really why he's expressing those emotions and why he's behaving in that manner. And just try to kind of level with him and say, you know, there actually are some things that we can try today. I hope you'll be open to me, you know, attempting to talk to your, to your little guy. Um, 
and seeing if there's other ways to get out that that aggression because I think maybe he's feeling maybe angry and hopefully he'll be hopefully dad will be open and will we'll talk a little bit um, but I think it's important for for parents to understand and to see what's what's really happening with their kids obviously in pediatric oncology parents are especially with leukemia it's a typically a three and a half year if you're lucky ordeal um and they're living in the hospital so often and back and forth to clinic that it's probably the most stressful um but if you could just talk to dad for a minute and, and let them know that that this is how they're expressing their anger and their emotions um but there are ways to get them to cope a little bit better i think that would be really helpful um and then once i had the child i could talk to the child i think i would see if they would open up and see just if I could do some, if I, if I knew the child, if we already had a rapport, I would maybe say, you know what, it seems like you're having a pretty bad day. And I think I would have a bad day too. If I knew I had to come here because maybe when I get here, I know that that means that my port is getting access and maybe that's not something I like very much. And maybe I would, I don't know if, if this kid has a, a doll that has a port or is totally anti-port and like doesn't want anything to do with the port but you know if there's any possible way for him to feel any sort of control that's what I would focus on because I Mm -hmm. think with so many oncology patients control is the issue that so much is being taken away from them and if they can be part the, the more they can be part of the entire process and everything being done to them and if they can do a little bit to themselves I think that's huge so even like flushing the port like even pushing that syringe in that simple act of their thumb just pushing on that back of that, that syringe is huge mm. even just if they can control the speed if they can just control something that can go such a long way so obviously this scenario really matters if you know the kid or not um, but just trying to figure out what can he control and figuring out something for him to control whether it's can he choose which lollipop can he choose which lollipop he gets to suck on while he's getting his chemo can he choose what can he choose and really trying to just break down those walls and try to get to, to see what he's so mad about and then seeing if you can do an anger activity with him so does he want to shred up a million pieces of paper and throw them all over the place but try to get him to express that anger um in a safe in a safe and constructive way but also really trying to educate dad oh you know i love the way that you with your approach that sounds so humble of really trying to come and meet them where they're at like like i love how you mentioned educating dad but in a non-judgmental way that you're coming as a specialist, but also as someone who's really for him and on his team and on this kid's team, which I think uh-huh. is really delicate when you're working with parents that are oh overwhelmed. And, yeah. Um, so I love that answer. Thank you so much for sharing, Randy. Sure. And now it's time to switch gears and close with our rapid five segment, which is a little different, but five quick brief answers. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Okay. I'll be brief. Okay. <clears throat> Number one, what stage of development have you most enjoyed this far with your sweet little daughter who can be seen on Instagram, uh, all of our listeners, which is, she's so sweet and so cute. I don't even know her, but. She's so not, she's not sweet. Oh, we, are in a ter- we are in a terrible phase right now. Oh, 19 no. months is not my favorite. Oh, I no. would say maybe like a year 
a year was great. 19 months is not my favorite at all. It's been very hard. Oh, I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry to hear that. Rapid sure, fire. Next oh, question. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to hear more about No, I mean, like, choose. good luck to you, Randy. <laughs> you got this. Number two, what is one of your go-to feeling expression activities for kids? Oh, I love feelings bingo. You just, I just, um, each each color represents a different feeling and then you spin the you spin the dial and whenever you land on a different color you have to say something that makes you feel that feeling <gasps> that's such a good idea I, mm-hmm. super easy awesome number three what is your one of your favorite things to do in new york oh um the high line super touristy but really fun it's an old railroad track it's above ground and you can walk over it and it's really cool. Nice. That's awesome. Number four, describe your ideal Kid Cope specialist client who gets you excited for the challenge of how you can help. Ooh, I think a kid who has an upcoming surgery. I love pre-op. So anything pre-op. Ooh. I love teaching about anesthesia and what's going to happen, all of that. Um, I really like that challenge. That's awesome. Very cool. Number five, what is your go-to distraction tool for a dentist office? I know you mentioned that you have done that before with kids, mm-hmm. helping support them. I spy. I find it it's such a great distraction tool. It can make them feel so focused and is, is also fun to play along, and it's really easy for, for both of you to really concentrate on. Mm, that's awesome. That is so great. I'm going to kind of throw in a random rapid six, too, to sure. kind of close out our time. But for people that would be interested in learning more from you about starting a private practice or about any tips and tricks that you have with all of your diverse experience, what is the best way that they could reach out to you? Yeah, so the best way is email, and it's the name of my practice, which is Kid Cope Specialists with an S on the end at gmail.com. Awesome, wonderful. So for anyone listening that would like to learn more from Randy, I encourage you to reach out. Obviously, you're such a wealth of knowledge, Randy, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, of course, Um, Sally. Thank you. Yes. And I thank all of our listeners, too, for listening for this segment. Be sure to follow us on Instagram. Be sure to also follow Randy on Instagram, um, Kid Cope Specialists. Give us a shout. And until next time, in the meantime, may we all lean into the Mission of the Child Life Cooperative by learning through reflection uniting for support and equipping students. Thanks so much. And thank you again, Randy. Thank you.